Today's reading is James 3, 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord the Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to talk today about cursing. I want to talk about cursing, but it's not what you might think, okay? I want to talk about cursing in the context of blessing with specific focus upon James chapter 3, verse 10, which we just heard read to us. It says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. We've been, uh, we've been looking at a life that blesses others. And we've started the year by trying to be, uh, by talking about living more intentionally as followers of Jesus, and specifically intentionally stepping into the practice of blessing others. And so that's what this is. This is part of that whole ongoing exploration of what does it look like to, to have a life that blesses others. Now, if you're new to Grace, you might be asking the question, why? Why? Why does anyone need blessing? And the short answer is that this is what we were made for. This is what we were made for. And that conclusion comes from reading the text of Genesis. And if you'd like to turn, if you don't have a Bible, there's one sitting underneath your seat. It's the first book of the Bible. It's one of, of, of a series of five books that are part of a collection called the Pentateuch. And those five books, those first five books of the Old Testament are attributed to Moses. Okay? 
So when set against Moses' mission to bring the people of God, the nation of Israel, out of slavery in Egypt, Genesis answers the question, who is this God who brought us out of Egypt? Genesis answers the question, who is this God who brought us out of Egypt? And after Egypt's many gods are defeated by, by, by Yahweh, by God, in this encounter between Moses and Pharaoh, which if you've ever watched the movie of God, whatever, the, the Ten Commandments or whatever it might be, you've, you know about that showdown. But after that showdown, Genesis, the book of Genesis, clarifies the identity of Israel's God as the creator of all things and the one who blesses his good creation. And that's why you see two accounts of creation. Because Genesis is making this point that this is who this God is. He's the creator of all things. And that's why you see the repetition of the blessing in Genesis 1 in the creation account. Because it's identifying this God as the God who blesses his good creation. Whereas the Egyptian gods were all about destroying things. Israel's God is about blessing, about bringing life and fruitfulness and multiplication and abundance. Now, for most of my Christian experience, I cut off the beginning and the ending of the Bible. And if you perhaps have been around church, maybe you've done the same thing. But my teaching, as I grew up, was largely emphasizing human rebellion, human sin, and that's where the story began. And then it ended with kind of the high point was Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, with the focus being largely upon how it applied to me, meaning, like, what did I get out of it? So there was my sin problem, and there was Jesus who was the answer to this, and that was largely the Bible for me. But you see, it cut off the beginning and it cut off the ending because the Bible doesn't begin with human rebellion. It begins with God's blessing. In Genesis 1, it begins with God as a creator and God blessing all things repeatedly. He blesses humanity and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. So before he ever, before he ever tells humanity to be culture makers, he blesses them. There's God's blessing shot through all the beginning of the text. So what this tells me is that we, and that's all human beings, are made in the image of God and we were designed to live in the blessing of God. We're made in the image of God, and we were designed to live in the blessing of God. That's what Genesis tells us when you read it this way. So what is blessing? Well, we've been looking at that over the last several weeks, and I, just by way of review, said that from the Old Testament, we can see that blessing is life that, is, that comes from God. It's created by God. It's life that gives life. It's life that extends life. And when you add the New Testament word for blessing, eulogia, onto it, it's the word for which we get eulogy, it's to speak well of someone. It's to speak God's favor and intention into someone's life. And I gave you Dallas Willard's compressed uh, definition that blessing is a projection of good into the life of another. And I also said that it's about not hoarding life as as those who have received the abundant life that Jesus gives to us. Jesus says in John 10.10, I've come that you might have life And that you might have it to the full. That you might have it abundantly. So you see, if we are people who have received the abundant life of Jesus, then the question is, will we hoard it? Will we hoard it? Or will we give that life to others? Will we bless others with the life that we have received? And that's one of the questions I've been posing in this series. 
So here's the question. Why don't we see this all around us? If this is God's intention for the world, if his intention is to bless all things, why is that not our experience? Perhaps you've come in today and, and your, your week was filled with things where you go like, you know, what I've encountered largely in my week is brokenness. I've encountered dysfunction. I've encountered d- disappointment. I've encountered darkness. If I could think of another D word real quickly, I would give it to you, but I can't, so I only came up with three. But that's largely what I've encountered this week. And, that, and I come in here and you're talking about how God's design is to bless the world. I don't see it. It's not been my experience. Why don't we see that? Well, if you're in Genesis 3, you know that if you're familiar with it, that Genesis 3 gives us the answer to that question, why we don't see it all around us. And it's commonly referred to as the fall. But interestingly enough, the Bible doesn't use that term. That is not a term that is found in the Bible, although theologians, pastors, teachers use that term to describe what happens in Genesis 3. I prefer the word takeover. Takeover. Because I think that in our culture, we're familiar with takeovers. You think about what's going on in our world right now. If you pay attention to, to global news, which I do, ISIS is attempting to take over the Middle East. And if you've been paying attention to the news, they have really made some grounds in Libya with the, with the way that Libya has been so destabilized. Now they're taking advantage of that destabilization, just as they attempted to do in Jordan, just as they're attempting to do in Iraq. So it's fascinating to discover, to, to look at the way that the world is so unstable and how there are so many attempts at takeovers all the time in our world. We see it in governments. We see takeovers in governments as well. Oftentimes, coups or hostile takeovers. But then bringing it a little bit more home, we see takeovers in corporations, right? Sometimes they're, they're benign. Other times they're, they're much more hostile. And some of you perhaps have been the victims of those kinds of takeovers. Of course, we know in a, in a very urban society such as L.A., Long Beach, we know about takeovers of neighborhoods by gangs, so takeovers, the word takeover is, a, is language that, that we get because it's part, of our cultural, uh, it's part of our cultural experience. So when you look at it in terms of Genesis chapter 3, we're talking about what it is that, that, that happened there with the takeover by Adam and Eve, by the first human beings. And it's in the context of Genesis chapter 3 where we first encounter the language of curse as well. But that is not, of course, referring to profanity. I was thinking about this and I was reflecting when I was, when I was preparing this week, reflecting on that, that fact that when we hear the word curse, what do, we, what do we think of? And we were recently having a family meal together. We have a family meal on Sunday nights at the request of my two married sons who wanted to stay connected as a family. And so we have a, a, a routine on Sunday nights of getting together and having a family meal. And recently, the, somehow the conversation turned to uh, a comparison of which child got disciplined the most while growing up, and for what? <laughs> you ever been around that kind of conversation? It was pretty hilarious. So I just sat back and listened. But, it, but one, of the, one of our children relayed an incident in which they, uh, when they were very young, they went over to their aunt's house. This would have been Lori's sister. And they came back and reported that their aunt had used the S word. Now, Lori was a little bit puzzled because she knew that her sister didn't use profanity, 
And she knew that her sister would certainly have been sensitive to these very young, impressionable nieces and nephews when she took them uh, to be with her. And so Lori, deciding to get to the bottom of it, asked, she said, well, I, you know, I got to figure out how to, how to uh, what, what, what was the deal with this S word that she used? And so she just flat out asked this child, so can you tell me what she said? And this child, without hesitating, said, yes, she said stupid. <laughs> so that was the S word in our family growing up. It was a lot different than the culture. We had a hugely different standard than the culture. And I, I remember hearing that, and I started laughing as I thought, oh, yeah, that's kind of the, the bar that we set for our kids. Uh, we still haven't told them there's another S word. I, uh, <laughs> I think they might find out one day, but I'm not going to break the news to them. So, so when Genesis 3 uses the language of curse, it's not referring to the S word, and it's certainly not referring to profanity in any way. So what's meant by curse? Well, when you look at Genesis 3, you see that it's the result of rejecting and resisting God's good intentions. It's a result of rejecting and resisting God's good intentions. Because here's a God who wants to bless the world. Here's a God who has good intentions for the world. And what is the curse? It's the result of rejecting and resisting God's good intentions. See, when we reject and we resist God's good intentions, God's favor, in other words, his blessing, then it results in his disfavor and his displeasure and our dysfunction and our destruction, namely modern culture that we experience today. That's what's going on in our culture today. So humanity, as you look at it in Genesis 3, chose to believe the lie that they could be like God. Genesis 3, 4. And that's the takeover. And they moved out of the protection of dependent trust in God. And they stepped away from God's favor and God's blessing and God's provision. They stepped away from life. And so from that point on, the human condition has been about trusting our own sufficiency, our own capacity, our own wisdom. And that's what we see around us, and that's why the world is not the way it's supposed to be. We don't experience God's blessing. Instead, we experience the curse. If you're looking at Genesis 3, you also see that the curse touches the man, the woman, and the serpent. It's, the curse is on the serpent. It indirectly is on the man and the woman. The man and the woman will live in a world that is affected by the curse. And you see that in, in the language that God uses, that this is what's going to happen to you, Adam, as you work. This is what's going to happen to you, Eve, as you attempt to give birth. It's, they're going to be affected by the curse. So you see, even when we try to live out of God's intention to bless the world, we are still affected by the curse that is in the world. In every sphere of life, things are not the way they're supposed to be. And this, is, this answers the question that people ask when, when maybe it's your friends at work or maybe it's somebody you know, and they're asking the question, why is my marriage so challenging? Why is my family filled with such tension? Why is my workplace so dysfunctional? Why is it that I'm so afraid to share who I really am with anyone, to really disclose who I am and to truly be known? Why am I afraid of that? Why is there always bad news every place that I turn? See, Genesis 3 answers that with this language of the curse, that we were made for blessing and we need blessing because we live in a world that is stained by the curse. 
And this is why Jesus is such good news. See, I, I, I return every Sunday, and I guess if you come in here every Sunday and we gather together, at some point, Jesus needs to be good news again to us, right? Right? Thank you. Yeah. Jesus needs to be good news to us again because we are so inundated with bad news and with the curse that we live in the midst of that somehow we have to come back to the fact that Jesus is good news. But why? Why is Jesus good news? When we talk about the gospel, we're not talking about primarily about simply a way to, 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 to get right with God. We're talking about the, the good news that Jesus is in a world, the reality of the world that you and I live in. See, if we're not facing the reality of the way the world is, then what are we doing? We're living in a dream world. But if Jesus is truly good news in the face of the reality that you and I encounter, then he really is good news. And I'm here to tell you that because of his life and death and resurrection, he's made it possible for us to be restored to relationship to God, to be, to be looked upon by God with favor, with God's smile, and to live in the blessing of God and to experience the blessing of God. That we don't have to live in the curse. We don't have to live in a world, in a li- have a life that is marked by the curse, but rather we can live differently because we have the power of God's spirit and the power of the life that Jesus gives to us. Listen to the words of Colossians 1. This has been a, a verse that I've gone to several times in this series. Just listen to these words. This is verses 19 to 22. It's talking about Jesus. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Why? Because of the reality of the curse. Paul goes on, he says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's what Jesus has come to do for us. And that is good news. That's incredible good news. That Jesus has come to defeat the curse and to bring us into right relationship with God. I never get tired of hearing that. So if I was sitting out there and someone got up here and did that every week for me, I would go like, thank you. Thank you for reminding me again of what it is that Jesus has done in human history. (laughs) You're welcome. But the story doesn't end there. Luke 4, 18 describes Jesus. Look at the words. I put them up there for you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So it's not just the fact of what I've just described, but Jesus has also come to do this that he describes in Luke 4.18. And what's interesting then is as Jesus' disciples, we are called to continue what Jesus began. We are called to continue what Jesus began. So looking at that text right there, here's my question to you. Now listen to me carefully. Will we allow people to live under the curse? Or will we be used by God to set people free, to bring them into the blessing of God? Those two questions haunted me all week. 
Because you know what that tells me? That tells me everybody that I encounter, whether it's in here or outside here, I have the opportunity to either let them continue to live under the curse Or I can choose to be used by God to do what Jesus came to do, and that is to free people, to release them from living under the curse and to bring them into the blessing of God. Now, if you're wondering, if you're sitting out there and you're wondering, and your Christianity is getting stale, and you're about this far from just basically checking out And saying, I'm done with this. I'm done with church. I'm done with Christianity. It doesn't make any sense. I'm tired of just listening. I'm bored. This is dull. I have no purpose. I have no meaning. I have no mission. If you're even close to that, and there are times when everybody who's honest gets there as a follower of Jesus, you you get close to that line. I've been there, and maybe you've been there too. And if that's where you are today, I'm telling you, this can renew it. This can renew your vision. To realize that you have been entrusted with the mission and the power of Jesus to release people from the curse, to release the captives from the curse, and to bring them into the blessing of God. That's phenomenal. That's absolutely phenomenal. That is life-changing. That's a game-changer. And this helps us understand why Jesus' half-brother makes such a big deal about our speech. So turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3, if you would, please. I'm just going to finish with a couple of thoughts here. In James chapter 3, page 1012 in the Blue Bibles, James goes off about talking about our speech, about our tongue. Marcia read it to us this morning. And he says that our words have power. She read that in verses 1 to 5 about how it's easy to, to, to turn a ship when you have a rudder. But the, the, the tongue is something that's so powerful, people can't even tame it. They can be powerful instruments. That our mouths can be powerful instruments of blessing, of curse, of giving life, and of withholding life. So remember that blessing is about life that comes from God. So what is cursing? Listen to me carefully. Cursing is withholding life. In the context of what we read in the Scripture... Cursing, as James talks about it, is withholding life. It's withholding God's heart, withholding God's favor, withholding God's good intentions from other people. It's withholding God's affection, his love, and hope. So you see, blessing and cursing are simply the two ways that we can treat people. Everyone that I encounter this week, I will either bless a curse. So since I've spent the last few weeks explaining and, and giving examples of blessing, I want to finish with a um, concrete example of cursing. An action that when practiced withholds blessing. Okay? And hopefully it might trigger some more examples for you. So I just want to give you one and maybe it'll, by giving you an example, it'll trigger some other ones for you. But it's something that I have experienced personally, and it's also something that I've done to others. And it's the practice of labeling. Labeling. If you've ever been labeled, and often it's, it's followed by being dismissed, you know what that feels like. 
To be labeled and dismissed feels like you've been diminished, at least it has to me. It feels like I've been diminished as a person, that my humanity has been diminished in some way. It's certainly not life-giving. David Dark captures this in his new release, Life's Too Short to Pretend That You're Not Religious. I'm going to read an extended quote. I've read it six times, and every time I read it, I just go like, wow. I mean, I'm jealous to be able to say things like this. Listen to what he talks about when he talks about labeling. He says, when I label people, I no longer have to deal with them thoughtfully. I no longer have to feel overwhelmed by their complexity, the lives they live, the dreams they have. I know exactly where they are inside or forever outside my field of care because they've been taken care of. The mystery of their existence has been solved and filed away before I've had a chance to be moved by them or even begun to catch a glimpse of who they might be. They've been neutralized. There's hardly any action quite so undemanding, so utterly unimaginative as the affixing of a label. It's the costliest of mental shortcuts. Of course we get to call it like we see it. What else can we do? But when we do so with undue haste, when we're neither remotely inquisitive nor especially curious in our regard for other people, we may find that a casual demonization comes to pepper our conversations. This is why it often seems to me that calling someone liberal, conservative, fundamentalist, atheist, or extremist is to largely deal in curse words. It puts a person in what we take to be their place, but it only speaks in shorthand. When I go no further in my consideration of my fellow human, I betray my preference for caricature over perception, a shrug as opposed to a vision of the lived fact of somebody in a body. In the face of a perhaps beautifully complicated life, I've opted for oversimplification. Powerful words. Powerful words of how, and one example of how I have at times cursed by withholding life through the practice of labeling someone. And maybe there's others that you can think of. But I happen to believe that, that the Spirit of God wants to make us aware of these types of practices we might engage in so that we will no longer block the life that he wants to have flow out of us, the blessing that he wants us to have spreading to other people. See, even as I read that this week and even as I thought about preparing this talk for you, it caused me to reflect on the ways that perhaps I have just slipped into withholding life from people that I've not been aware of before. And maybe the Lord will bring some of those to mind as well so that that conduit will open up for you so that you can bless others with your speech this week, to bring life to them through your words. So my invitation to you just in the moments we have here is, is the question, who might need a blessing from you? Okay? So as, as we're thinking right now, who might need a blessing from you? Who might need to know God's favor, God's good intentions for them? And it might be your own children. Because we have a lot of parents here with young children. It might be your own children. Have they heard from you 
words of God's favor, God's good intention for their lives. It might be your roommate. And maybe there's some tension there, but maybe you need to step into blessing. Maybe there's a, it's your spouse. Maybe it's somebody at, at work. I mean, who is, who is Jesus bringing to mind right now that needs to hear God's favor, God's good intention for their life? And you might want to, with, you might want to ask Jesus how, to, to show you how you might be withholding life from them how you've been withholding life from them, and in a sense, leaving them in the place of curse. Not experiencing the fullness of life, but instead experiencing the brokenness of life because you've not intentionally stepped into blessing them. See how that works? And I think one of the best things to do is just to simply tell Jesus you want to be a blessing. Name the person and then say, Jesus, I want to be a blessing to that person Please give me an opportunity, the awareness and the opportunity to do that this week. I'm going to give you a moment to do that, okay? So just take a moment and just in a moment of quiet, and then I will pray. So if you please don't leave, but just give everybody the, the courtesy of the, the moment. This might be the one moment that Jesus wants to show up and use this time for you. So Jesus, I ask that you would take um, the words that I have attempted to communicate today and that um, you, would in, you would show us areas where we can speak life into people, where we can bless them this week, uh, make us aware of places where we are blocking that life through our own um, either blindness or inattentiveness, whatever it might be that you want to show us, because we know that you have our best interests in mind and you have your best interests in mind for your kingdom for this world. And so may we be partnering with you this week to be instruments of your life to this world. In Jesus' name, amen.